0: Visit carp.ca.
2: Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Zneimer. Have you ever received really bad customer service but you weren't sure how to fight back? Well, there's a new way to resolve consumer complaints that takes the guesswork out of filing your grievance. And... Remembering a pioneering fashion icon, 85-year-old designer Karl Lagerfeld died this week and was working almost until the end of his life. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. A new report is urging changes to curb inappropriate lab tests that it says strain the healthcare system. The C.D. Howe Institute says overused tests may lead to wrong diagnoses and potentially inappropriate treatments. That can cause side effects. Canadians receive an average of 14 to 20 laboratory tests a year, and 70% of medical decisions are based on those results. The authors are also calling for better electronic records to avoid reordering tests. A Statistics Canada report is investigating why an increasing number of adults are still living with their parents. Almost 2 million Canadians aged 25 to 64 lived with at least one parent in 2017. That's more than double the number in 1995. 70% reported being single. But there's also a growing phenomenon of younger Zoomers moving in with their older Zoomer parents to take care of them. Canada's oldest man has died at 110. Retired Montreal oral surgeon Dr. Robert Weiner was often asked the secret to his long life. He was committed to a strict exercise routine, jumping on his stationary bike for half an hour every day. He was Canada's only male supercentenarian, a term for people at least 110. According to a U.S.-based gerontology research group, Dr. Weiner is considered the oldest man ever to be born and die in Canada. A Golden Girls-themed cruise is set to sail next year. Thank you for being a friend. The Caribbean cruise will leave from Miami, home of the four iconic TV characters from the 1980s show. The themed cruise will feature a bar crawl, fancy dress party and dinner, bingo, and karaoke nights. The show still has a big fan base thanks to reruns. 97-year-old Betty White is the only surviving cast member. That's 106-year-old Viola Smith, who until very recently was still playing the drums in America's oldest professional band, called the Forever Young Band. She bought her first drum kit at 10 and went on to perform and tour with her six sisters in the Smith Sisters Orchestra. Six of us getting $73 a week in 1936. Did we make a lot of money? Viola credits her long life to the full-body exercise of drumming and adds... She loves drinking wine in moderation. I'm Libby Zneimer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Ever felt like you've been swindled or duped by a bank, airline, or travel agent, or had a bad experience at a restaurant or store? Trying to reach a quick resolution is not easy. Now, a new website has launched in Canada that not only lays out consumer rights, but helps resolve complaints. James Walker created the Consumer SOS site that's already had huge success in the UK.
3: MyResolver.ca is a website to help consumers to raise, manage and resolve issues that they may have with many different organisations. And how so? It will help you to understand your rights It will help you create um, a nice formatted email template that helps express your issue. Uh, It will record that and all communications. It will remind you what to do and when. And if you can't resolve the issue, if there's an independent body to escalate to, it will know when and how to escalate your case to them. Before you get to the template, what we are doing is helping you to understand your rights, i.e. what to ask for, what's fair and reasonable to say to the organisation. We're also recording all of the uh, communication. So rather than you having to work out where to put or to remember what to do, we'll remind you what to do and when. And actually, we'll know where to go if you can't solve it as well.
2: How long have you been going in the UK and how many complaints have you solved?
3: So we've been in the UK for five years live. We've had 19 million visits uh, visitors to the website and we've solved over, in Canadian dollars, $3 billion worth of issues just Three. through the website.
2: What are the kinds of companies that are most complained about?
3: A few areas. One is uh, finance. Finance is a big area with people having issues with things like overdrafts and mortgages. Second area is travel. You know, my plane was delayed or I went on holiday and it wasn't quite what I expected. The third one is retail. Big problems often with online retailers as well. You know, something was sent, um, it arrived, it was damaged.
2: What are the other sectors that get a lot of
3: complaints? A lot of complaints, effectively restaurants, um, really interesting. People go out wanting something great to eat, often for a a good experience, say a a birthday or an anniversary, and it doesn't cut the mustard. And so they end up raising an issue. And maybe this is a Brit thing, but rather than say something in the restaurant, they prefer to put it down and email it through to the organisation.
2: And they expect something after the fact?
3: They expect something after the fact. Now, um, restaurants are one of the worst at uh, uh, turning around and going, here's a, a voucher, for example. But we see other areas, say, for example, in mobile or telecoms as being an area where actually those organizations will do a lot to try and make sure that their customers are happy. So different industries definitely act in different ways towards their consumers.
2: So how does Resolver make its money?
3: We're not selling data. There's no adverts. There's no marketing to In the UK, we're working with all key governments on the service that we deliver, um, and they recommend to come and use our service. Where we do make money is taking the data, the aggregated data, so nothing personal or individual, and start to be able to look at things like trends, helping businesses to understand where that they can be better in delivering service. So the focus is about how to improve customer service and deliver better services for consumers. We have set up, and the same we will do here in Canada, is an ethics committee that is made up of all key consumer organizations to make sure that the data that we're using, we're only using in a fair and appropriate way to the consumer. Look, our value is in our trust to the consumer, and I believe that you should never break that trust. And I think a number of large internet organizations have gone too far in giving us free services and us being very happy to accept them, and only realising later that actually what's being done with our data is sometimes quite disturbing. Our customer is the consumer, and actually you should treat your customer fairly. Treat them how you would want to be treated. And I think the really important bit is that by doing that, actually our focus is solely around helping consumers to get better service and better outcomes. So the data that we're using is actually focused on being able to say to businesses where they're doing something or they could do something better. There are two touch points that we have with our suppliers these days in reality. One is when we buy something and one is when we go wrong, when something goes wrong. And actually, when you buy something, that's super easy. But more and more, it's being done by self-service checkouts, by running your account through an app on your phone. So the only time that you find out how good a business is is when something goes wrong. So the key loyalty touch point now is not about buying, it's about resolving issues.
2: Okay, thanks very much. Pleasure, thank you. That was James Walker, founder and creator of the website MyResolver.ca. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, one of the most iconic figures of the fashion world has died. We look back at the incredible life of Karl
0: Lagerfeld. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca.
2: A fashion legend has died. Karl Lagerfeld was still working in an industry that worships youth almost up to his death at age 85 this week. He held down top design jobs at Fendi and Chanel and Shaped Generations with his iconic style— famously saying every woman should own a little black dress. Lagerfeld was instantly recognizable by his trademark white ponytail, high-starched collars, and dark sunglasses. I chatted about his legacy with Zoomer magazine
4: editor-in-chief and veteran fashion journalist Suzanne Boyd. Karl Lagerfeld represented several things. It sort of signifies that a lot in fashion has changed, especially a system of 20th century fashion that is waning while many other things are waxing. As long as he was alive working, he would have always been influential. He will be influential for many centuries from now, considering what he has done to fashion and with fashion and for fashion. But it's a different time. But he was always beyond time. He started in the 50s, but was always so current Was the last, you know, the Kaiser, the Emperor, whatever you called it, a fashion. He outlived all his contemporaries, was always working with young people doing new things, but he was still a man of a certain age from a certain time. What of his legacy is waning? Well, I think the idea of the fashion... Kaiser who can dictate things and be outrageous the let them eat cake attitude the his gaz- nickname was the Kaiser the Kaiser well yeah he German extraction came to Paris in the 50s um but it was that said so much about his um heritage as to his attitude and I mean he was famous for the barbed um things he would say like the one-liners which were really really smart and funny, but were also borderline and in his later years could be construed as, you know, very um, sort of misogynistic, body shaming, several things that would not be said in polite society, but it was, oh, it's just Carl. But also the idea of just dictating what someone wears, like having a look and saying, this is it, you wear this. Like fashion isn't like that anymore. But he rolled with that, but he epitomized that sort of, you know, fashion coming from the runway, from the dictates of luxury and trickling down to the street. Well, now it's really about street fashion. When you see a luxury house like Louis Vuitton hiring a street designer like Virgil Abloh, who trained with Kanye West, then you know something truly has changed. Karl Lagerfeld was a funny one because he came to Paris in the 50s at the same time as Saint Laurent and Valentino. Valentino retired. And Sonora crumbled under the pressure of being a fashion genius, and passed away several years ago. And Karl Lagerfeld just kept working. And the knock on Lagerfeld was he didn't create his own house. Yes, there was a Karl Lagerfeld brand, but it wasn't very strong. It went from permutation to permutation. So he could never create his own thing. But he worked in the codes of other houses from Balmain, Jean Patou, Fendi, Chloe, and then of course Chanel was the big break. And so when he took over Chanel and just completely shook it up, and it was these old codes, as you said, you know, the suit, the dusty suit, the the dusty tweeds, the dusty pearls, the dusty little black dress. And what he did was he modernized it and said, okay, you can put a Chanel jacket with a pair of jeans. You can put biker hats with the double C logos. And he just created this phenom, and everyone had to have Chanel. And what he did in doing that was not only bringing the house back to life so it wasn't just a house that sold perfume and, you know, the odd accessories in the airport, you know, discount, you know, the airport duty-free store. What he did was create uh, the brand, and he created this model that changed fashion from the 80s onwards, where all the French houses did this. All the old French houses like Louis Vuitton, like um, like Givenchy, they all got young designers and took these houses over and brought them back to life.
2: He worked until the end
4: and mm-hmm. he was relevant until the end. How mm-hmm. did he manage that? As he said on our cover, I hate nostalgia and I hate being bored. So he always wanted the new and the next and super curious. You know, he'd always have the hottest, newest It Girl model on his runway. And then I just think because he was so truly himself, when when you're truly yourself, I mean, with his appearance, he looked the same. So he had this one look of the suits, the ponytail and the fan. Then he went on a dud and he lost 93 pounds in 13 months. So he could wear these Hades Sliman slim suits. And then he started dressing a completely other way, but always the same. So he had, it was like a rock and roll vampire look. So he'd have the black jeans, the high heel boots, the high collared white shirt, the black frock coat, the dark glasses, the fingerless gloves and the silver rings. And he wore that every single day. So he became sort of a meme. He became a Halloween costume. He was completely recognizable. There was a can of Coke made like him. And then his sayings, you know, there was a book in 2013, you know, the sayings of Karl Lagerfeld. So he became sort of this pop cultural figure who was just sort of part of the landscape. What are we left with from him? Well, I think we're left with the fashion system as we know it today. The idea that a force of personality can really affect time and taste over decades, The fact that you can be very, very old and win at a young person's game, which is what fashion is. And the fact that, you know, that our fashion heroes get away with a lot because fashion allows that and that probably won't last forever in this time. But, um, you know, three of them came to Paris, Valentino, Salorat, Lagerfeld, and they changed fashion as we know it forever.
2: I'm going to go home and look up the issue of Zoomer where he was on the cover,
4: but Mm -hmm. why did you put him on the cover then? We put him on the cover for many of the reasons we talked Mm -hmm. about, because of what he represented, the Zoomer philosophy of being completely of the moment and refusing to stop working, because for years and years and years, isn't it time Carl retires? And no, he kept doing those Fendi collections, those Chanel collections, bigger and more extravagant than ever, more work than ever. Kept doing the shoots, working with new people.
2: Okay, Suzanne Boyd, thanks so much.
4: Oh, My pleasure, and always nice to talk about a legendary fashion designer.
2: That was Suzanne Boyd, Editor-in-Chief of Zoomer Magazine. I'm Libby Zneimer, and this is the Zoomer Weekend Review. Coming up, we remember Peter Tork, the endearing, offbeat bassist with the monkeys who passed away this week.
0: You're listening to the Zoomer Weekend Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca.
2: Welcome back to the Zoomer Weekend Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's time for your international arts datebook. book, tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown.
1: We begin in London, where 40 years after taking the movie world by storm, Dolly Parton's 9 to 5 is on stage in the West End.
0: Working 9 to 5.
1: The show, which toured the UK in 2012, has been described as energetic but lightweight. Amsterdam's Rijksmuseum is marking the 350th anniversary of Rembrandt's death with an exhibition of nearly 400 paintings, drawings, and sketches, and calling him the world's first Instagrammer. Marrakech, Morocco, is the site of this weekend's 154 Contemporary African Art Fair, dedicated to art from Africa and the African diaspora, showcasing the work of more than 65 established and emerging artists. And in Frankfurt, Germany, the Stadel Museum is presenting an exhibition that offers comprehensive insights into the artistic and thematic breadth of the Renaissance in Venice. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Book.
2: This week, we said goodbye to Peter Tork, the quirky and lovable bassist from The Monkees. Before successfully auditioning for that group, Tork was working as a musician in the Greenwich Village scene. In 1965, he auditioned for a fabricated band for a TV show inspired by the success of The Beatles and their film A Hard Day's Night. Tork, along with Davy Jones, Mickey Dolenz, and Mike Nesmith, formed the hugely successful Monkees. Although the TV show lasted only two seasons, it won over international audiences— and The Monkees sold more than 75 million records. Near the end of 1968, Peter Tork left The Monkees, citing exhaustion. He continued down a musical path, creating his own bands, but never recaptured his earlier success. Later in life, he rejoined The Monkees for major reunion tours. In 2009, he was diagnosed with a rare form of tongue cancer and passed away this week at 77. Right now, one of The Monkees' smash hits... Here is I'm a Believer. That was the Monkees with I'm a Believer. Bassist Peter Tork passed away this week at the age of 77. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Zneimer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things
0: Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. Produced by Christine Ross, Michelle Saunders, Paul Thomas, and Andre Lowy.
1: This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio.
0: This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network. Home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air